church, are you ready for God's word, second service? Amen. Well, today we are almost to the end of an eight-part sermon series. Actually, is it eight parts? Yes, it's eight parts. Today is number seven. Next week, we will conclude it, and I want to share this with you. I want you to come next week because it will be the most powerful of the, of the eight messages. I don't want you to miss. If you can make it, if you can make every attempt and, and just, just don't, don't let anything come between you and showing up here next week for, for the message. It's been working on my heart so much so that we, we thought about getting away on Sunday And I said, no, I got to be back for Sunday because this message is too important to wait one more week. And so I want you to be here. I want to see a a raised hand of commitment. If you can commit to being here. Now, I understand that, that, that anything could happen. But as far as you know, God willing, you'll be here. Raise your hand. Let me see who's not raising their hand. I want to I make sure I know who's not committed. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My point is I, I want you to be here. We're going to be talking about the most powerful words we can share. Speaking life in the most powerful way. Now, today we conclude the second part of last week's message where we said there were 10 deadly sins of our tongue. Excuse me, 12 deadly sins of our tongue. 12 deadly sins of our tongue. We covered six. Today I cover the second six. So right off the bat, I want to remind you, our whole sermon series has been based on Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Isn't that true? You can speak life towards people. You can build them up. You can encourage them, help them believe for more than they, they thought they could. Or you can speak death. You can destroy. You can bring down and tear down a confidence. You can belittle and hamstring them and make them feel less worthy. The truth is we have a choice on how we use our words. We can agree with God or agree with the enemy. And we've been using the book of Proverbs to base much of our teaching over these these last several weeks. And so I want to encourage you and remind you that the book of Proverbs is a wealth of blessing. The book of Proverbs is organized around three basic themes. Your money, your morals, and your mouth. Isn't that true? And if you work on these themes, it will improve your life and bless your life into the future. How many of us know that there are 31 Proverbs in the book of Proverbs. 31. That means you can take one a day for each month. And on those months that don't have 31 days, you can double up at the very end and read two Proverbs. But it's a perfect way to just remind yourself of what God has called us to. Something that's blessed and something that's good. Amen. And so the first, the first sin or the first deadly thing we want to avoid in terms of our mouth and our words, is blasphemy. That's today. It's number seven total, but today we're just going to start with, we'll just number them another six. So six and six makes 12. Blasphemy. Now this is interesting because when was the last time someone said to you, blasphemy, that's blasphemous. We just don't talk like that anymore. That's kind of like the King's English, the the old way of, of thinking about things. 
But do you know blasphemy is a very real thing and a very serious thing? In fact, the Bible says in the book of Exodus, before I tell you what blasphemy is, I'm going to go to the book of Exodus and I'm going to read to you one of the Ten Commandments. This is one of the Ten Commandments. It says, you shall not take the, Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall not do this. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. What is the Bible saying? He's going to judge anyone who uses his name in a careless, blasphemous way. Do you know this is called blasphemy in the Old Testament and it's punishable by death? You might say, Pastor, but I'm not under the law. We're not under the law. We're under grace. Okay, since we're not under the law and the Ten Commandments no longer apply, murder's okay? That's one of the Ten Commandments. How about lying? Lying is okay. Adultery. Covetousness. No, no. The Ten Commandments still apply. Yes, we are forgiven, but that doesn't mean we should go around doing it. And so, so many times we're so careless with the name of our Lord. You say, but how do I take the Lord, the name of the Lord and blaspheme it? What does that mean? It means to use God's name in an unsacred, self-serving, or inappropriate way. To use it casually, to use it as a curse word, to use it to swear by. You should never swear by the name of the Lord. Your yes should be yes and your no should be no, said Jesus. Anyone who has to swear to you, you know they have a problem lying. So you have to be careful with this. Not only that, but you can take the name of the Lord your God in vain by saying, well, God told me. Jeremiah says, you should not say the Lord has said when, the, when I have not said, says the Lord. So we should be very careful and pull in the God card. I call that pulling the God card saying, well, God said, God said, because then what, how do you combat that? Somebody comes to you and says, well, God said, well, I don't care about God. How do you combat that? You, no, you have to be like, well, uh, uh, uh. this actually happened to me once. There was a gentleman that came in, and this is something you have to be careful with because some of us receive what people tell us. And just because they said, well, God said doesn't mean anything. They could be using the Lord's name in vain. And we receive it and we take it in and we say, well, I guess it must be for me. No, we have to be very careful. Anything that is spoken over me, I make sure it's, it, it, it agrees with this word. It agrees with this word. And then I ask the Lord to give it witness. What do I mean by that? The Lord always confirms his word over you and over me with two or three witnesses and his word and the spirit of the living God. So this gentleman comes up to me and he says, Pastor Chris, the Lord told me to tell you. And I said, oh, really? He has a problem communicating to me? But I let it go. I said, okay, what, what do you have? He said, I had a dream and he started unfolding his dream and he wanted me to receive it. And I said, before I receive it, I want to make sure it lines up with God's word. And then I want to make sure your life lines up with good fruit. And so this is what I said. I don't know you very well. So to come in and to start speaking over me, I don't receive it yet. I said, first, give me the message. Then I measured the message against God's word, but then I measured him against God's word and against the fruit of the spirit. And so this is what I said to the gentleman. I said, are you a Christian? 
Yes. How many of you know anybody can claim to be a Christian? That's also using the name of the Lord your God in vain. When you take his name and you use it to describe you, but you aren't living for him. That's taking it in vain. That's lessening it, dishonoring it. And so I said, have you ever struggled with the occult? He said, yes. Are you free by the blood of Jesus? And do you know how deadly a sin that is to dabble in the occult? He said, yes. Then why did you wear in this house last week a shirt with a pentagram that said Slayer? It's the only one I had come naked before you wear that. Come without a shirt before you wear that in his house. I don't receive what you say. And just because you say you're speaking in the name of the Lord doesn't mean anything to me because you've just taken it in vain. Can I tell you another way people take it in vain? They say, to me, God is. Come on. How many times have you heard that? To me, God would never judge that. To me, God is more loving. I can't see my God being that way. And when you're using God's name and you're dishonoring his character by bringing his character down to your level where it's, he's palatable to you, where it's easy for you to make the mark. See, because that's typically what people do when they take him in vain that way. They say to me, because I want to make it easy, easy to warm up to God. He has to be easier for me to live with. No, God is exactly who he says he is. Don't take his name in vain. Don't take his name in vain. I can see uh, some of us agreed and some didn't. I'm like, nope. (laughs) That's okay. It's okay. God's okay with being God. It's interesting how man is always acting like, well, it's not good for me. Who cares? Who cares? You need him more than he needs you. That's the truth. So blasphemy is something we should avoid. How about this? Filthy language. Now you say, Pastor, but we just talked about cursing last week. Well, filthy language includes everything else. (laughs) Filthy language. You go, well, well, define it for me. Offensive, nasty, perverted, crude, inappropriate matter of speech. Come on, we've all been there, haven't we? Where we hear someone talking this way and you you think to yourself, oh man, I I don't want to be that guy that's stick in the mud. You know, this is just locker room talk. That's just the way guys talk. You know what? No, it's not the way guys should talk. It's not. And it paints evil pictures. It degrades women. It degrades men. It degrades us. And God says, I don't want your words to be that way because everywhere you go, listen, listen, you represent the character of Christ. And you have an opportunity to speak something good and something, and a blessing, a blessing. So you have to be very careful with the way you speak. Also, this includes these dirty jokes, these these perverted innuendos, where you take everything and you make it something crude and perverted. You've seen people like that. And you go, well, I can't help it, but he's my friend. Correct your friend. Let your witness be known. You don't have to be judgmental, but you can say like I did. I can remember being a young college kid and I wasn't perfect. And I definitely wasn't walking as good as I should have been walking. 
But I can remember this is something dad, my daddy raised me right. And these guys would start talking in a certain way. They were on my floor. And I'd say, you know what? When, I, when I'm around, I don't want to be hearing nasty mama jokes, perverted gay jokes. I don't want to be hearing w- w- degrading women and degrading this. and degrading. I, I, That's not who I am. That's not what I do. Stop it. Not around me. Well, who do you think you are? And then that's one of the other problems I, I had. But, but we'll talk about that. Listen to what the Bible says. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Don't let it be on your lips. Don't let it be on your lips. Which contentious speech. See, this is the one I did have a problem with contentious speech someone says well who do you think you are i'll show you who i am and immediately i'd start getting contentious you go what is contentious speech well read it with me hurtful hateful malicious disagreeable argumentative contentious speech you go i still don't understand it listen to the word contentious do you hear the word contend contender it means to fight to to battle it out Can I tell you, before you dismiss this, many couples fall into this sin and this rut. How how so? We're called to complete each other, not to compete against each other. You realize that couples before long can start, because we live in such a competitive society, can start to compete against each other, and they always have to argue every single thing. I think that happens even as siblings, I can remember my, my kids, they would just be arguing and arguing and arguing and arguing. I'm like, you don't have to argue every point. Stop arguing. I'm not arguing, Dad. I'm not arguing. You just argued with me. You know what's so interesting? Is they get it probably from me. You know, some of us just love to argue and some of us love to be right. But sometimes that comes from a place that's not necessarily good. So I started asking myself the hard question, Lord, why do I have to be right? Why do I have to argue? Why do I feel the need to say certain things? And a lot of that has to go back to my upbringing. I hated being pushed around. My daddy always had us in tough neighborhoods. And he would move us from one church to another. And we went into tough neighborhoods, always being the new kid. And the new kid, you know, is is tough. And so I hated feeling like, like being less than or pushed around or marginalized. I felt like, man, once you give them, once you give them just a little bit, you'll always be the butt of the joke. You'll always be the guy they push around. You'll always be the one having to, f- and, and so I learned to stand up for myself. But how many of you know the enemy will take that and he'll take it to an extreme that's completely wrong? I can remember being a new kid on, in, in Houston, predominantly Hispanic neighborhood. So most of, the, of, of my friends, most of the people there in the school were of a Catholic background. Some were, were sincere Catholics, other by name only, but it was tradition for them and it was important. And I can remember always wearing a cross. And one day they came to me and they said, hey man, why do you wear that cross? I was an underclassman because I was a freshman. Some of these were juniors and seniors. You go, why do you wear that cross instead of the crucifix? And I can remember saying something like this. Say, because I got a clue and I know what I'm doing, unlike you. Unlike you Catholics. And I don't know if those are exact words, but they were pretty close. Is that contentious? Is that the way to make friends and influence others? 
Is that how you should start? This is a beautiful opportunity to share the gospel, to share the goodness of Christ. But instead, I went, bam, right in the nose. With my words, right? And that's what a contentious heart does. A contentious heart stirs up strife. And so I want to ask you here today, do you have a contentious heart? Do you stir things up in your family? Do you always have to be disagreeable? Do you always have to be brash and harsh? Why can't you be soft, gentle, peaceful? Isn't that what Christ was? If anyone had a reason or a right to be contentious, it's Christ to come down here and say, you sinners. So, so, so what happened is he said, what? And I said, yeah, we don't wear the crucifix because Jesus is not on the cross. He is risen. And if you knew something, you wouldn't wear it either. And maybe it's because I was tired of what my dad had moved us from town to town. I liked being in Bastrop. We moved from Bastrop to a big city. It was a horrible place. I didn't like it. Either way, God could have watched over my mouth, but instead I let the frustration that was building, come on, be an excuse and an open door for the enemy to come in and make me contentious. And so it went from words to physical real quick. As the guy said, you said what? Bam, he hit me. And then we went at it, and there was more of them than me. And I can remember getting rolled up a little bit, fighting for my life. Oh, man, you should have seen it. (laughs) No, I was going to say you should have seen it. It was was disgraceful. Because I get dragged into the principal's office. My mama comes down and says, what were you doing? I said, I was fighting for Jesus. (laughs) Many wars have been fought that way. Not one of them was right. We still have that as a black eye when the people when you go and, and, and you go in to witness and they say, What about the Crusades? What about Yeah, prime example of what we shouldn't do. What we should not do. And I can remember my mama looking at me and saying, Son, you have a golden opportunity. And instead of being Jesus, you decided to fight. I said, Why well, I, I was fighting for Jesus, Mama, and I couldn't understand. She says, God never asked you to fight for him, he asked you to witness for him. And as a witness, you tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth of how good God has been to you. Why didn't you tell him how good God is? How awesome and caring God is. Come on, someone here that's being contentious with their family, being contentious, and you say, Well, I'm never, I'm never um like you, Pastor, I don't pick fights, but you're rude. You have to be right. You never look to see the other person's point of view. You only see your point of view. You're condescending. Uh-oh. Okay, before you decide you don't like me, I'm going to move on. <laughs> Listen to what the Bible says. Better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Yeah, you can tell who doesn't have a wife. <laughs> they're, they're the ones celebrating. <laughs> so you can be, be careful, man, be careful. But ladies, isn't, isn't this true? Come on. See, in these past two messages, we have to be accountable, meaning let the Holy Spirit speak to us and then be correctable. And Lord, teach me how to be different. Teach me, at least that's been my prayer. Lord, I don't want to be contentious. I want to be gentle and kind, 
caring, considerate. I want to be a peacemaker. As the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. Amen. So how about this one, guys? As charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Fits of anger. Unreasonably angry or upset, an outburst of rage, ill-tempered or bad-tempered. What are some examples? Throwing a tantrum, an unreasonable outburst given the circumstance. The Bible says in the book of Galatians that this is work of the flesh. It's not work of the Spirit. It's the exact opposite. And when we, have, when we have accepted Christ and the Spirit starts to work in us, this should not be who we are. It might be who we were, but it shouldn't be who we are. And so watch what the Bible says. Now, the works of the flesh, they're evident. It's clear, and anyone can see it. Watch this. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of rage. You go, Pastor, but I, I, don't, I don't have fits of rage. I just get a little angry. Well, listen to what the Bible says. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry. Don't be quick. That means you sh- it should take a long time to get you angry. Anyone have trouble here? Or is it, am I the only one? You say, Pastor, you have trouble with most of them because I'm fleshed like I'm human like anybody else. But this is why I've, I've given my life to Christ and asked the Holy Spirit to come in so that that miracle will take place, not just on the day I was saved, but every day of my life. Remind me and teach me how to live better for him. And I've learned that I could stand up here and preach at you and act like I've got it all sorted out. Or I could say, hey, I'm just like you. And this is for all of us, including me. Including me. You go, but, but, but the Bible says don't be quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges. That means it makes its home in the heart of fools. Can I tell you, the enemy will hit you even once you become a Christian in the area of anger. When you're, when you're at your wit's end, when you've been going through a really hard time. This is why it's so important to cre- to have a maintenance plan with the Holy Spirit every morning, every evening. Spend time with God. Let him renew your spirit. Let him settle your heart. I can remember a time when, when a fit of anger just really wrecked havoc on my witness and my confidence. And But at the time, it didn't feel like that. At the time, it felt good. And you know what? Some people have made fun of me because I say sin feels good when you're doing it. And someone said, no, it didn't feel good at all. You weren't doing it right. Because <laughs> when you do it right, it feels good. But that doesn't mean it's going to be good. There's a consequence. And when it first came out, oh, man, I was, and I'll tell you the quick little story. I was, I was struggling. I had I had uh, planned to preach a message, and it's so funny. Someone said, you're wearing a Harley Davidson shirt. And they said, Are you, did, were you, did you ever own a Harley? I said, no, um, but I wrecked one. And it wasn't mine. In fact, I was going to use it as a message uh, prop. 
and I was going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit instead of operating in your power, operate under the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Harley was going to come on. So this gentleman agreed to lend me his classic Harley, of which we showed up early to the church, and he insisted that I get on it. I said, no, no, no. After four or five times of him really insisting, I want you to take it for a ride, I wrecked it. And, and it was this classic Harley. I, 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 I had busted up my hip and my, my collarbone. I was on steroids for my ulcers condition. Can, can you hear the excuses? There's no excuse. But there are open doors we have. Those were all open doors that I was leaving for the enemy. And so when you have these, these weak points or these points where you're, you're being stressed, you need to spend more time with the Lord. You need to spend more time in his word. And so I can remember um, uh, being at the kitchen table and Melissa and her family, grandma and great grandma and Aunt Jeanette, and they were all there and they were saying something about Honey and Honey was a little boy and they said something about the way I was parenting him. At least that's the way I took it. And I said very sharply, remember contention? Contention was, um, he's my kid, I'm doing a good job, but out. Now, that's how you, you really just, just, just bring peace to a situation, isn't it? I'm using myself as an example. Maybe you can relate and you won't have to go there. And so I can remember saying that to him, to them, and they all gasped in unison. I still don't know how ladies do that. They go, <gasps> and they gasped hitting the harmony parts. All four of them. And I see them looking at me like. Now I'm feeling judged. And it goes from contention to plain old anger. Took out the flamethrower. I said, and another thing. <laughs> Let's just say it had something to do with get out of my house. Don't come back. Oh, man, it felt good until the Lord said, yeah, you're their pastor. Yeah, this is a long time ago. Long, long time ago. You know, I went and apologized, but how many of you know I ate up a lot of credibility that day? But I was also reminded that, hey, you never do quite graduate. Not this side of heaven. You got to keep keeping on and allowing the Holy Spirit to create the change you are not able to in your own strength. So if you struggle with one of these, the minute you say, oh yeah, I've got this under control, the minute you're going to fall. Keep it under the Holy Spirit's control. Now, now I want to spend some time in the last two. The last two are super important and the last two uh, go hand in hand. Second to last is negativity, being negative. The Bible says do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. How many of us know that negativity is a sin and it's something that can become addicting? Meaning you get good at what you practice. If you get negative, you'll get good at always being negative because you always see it from that point of view. The glass is always half empty. Do you realize that people that practice being positive will see the glass half full? They'll look at Goliath, at the giant, 
And instead of saying, he's too big for me to hit him, they'll say, he's too big for me to miss. Yeah. It's going to be so easy to hit this guy. You know, and, and so we have to be careful with the sin of negativity. It gets, it gets going small, but it wrecks tremendous havoc, ultimately havoc on our faith, on our faith. And I want you to remi- I want to remind you of the 12 spies that went into the promised land looking to bring back a good report. Now, they were supposed to bring back a good report. 10 brought back negativity and two brought back a good report, positive report. Now, what, the, what were the, the negative reports like? Oh, there's giants in the land. There's giants in the land. And we look like grasshoppers. That was their report. They looked at the problem. And, and as they focused on the problem, the problem got bigger and bigger and bigger. And they felt smaller and smaller and smaller. And negativity is also a confidence problem. It's a confidence problem. Now, those that came back with a positive report, they saw the giants. So it's not a matter of ignoring the facts. Because people will say, well, I just, I'm a realist. I look at the facts and I just tell the truth. You tell the truth from a negative standpoint. See, they saw the giants. The giants made them feel like grasshoppers. These guys saw the giants But then they looked beyond the giants to the provision of God. And they said, if God has been with us all this way, and for 40 years he has shown himself faithful, or or, it hadn't been 40 years at that point, but for these many months he's shown himself faithful, then I know for a fact he won't let us down now. It's going to be awesome to see God use us to whip these big boys. It's going to be amazing. And so they looked at the facts, but they understood it from a point of faith. And ultimately, that's where I want to finish. Going beyond negativity, you will land on pure just unbelief. Unbelief. Now, unbelief is the worst sin of all of these sins. Because unbelief will send you to hell. Unbelief will send you to hell. You go, what is unbelief? Well, unbelief is not believing God's word. And can I tell you, there's a pandemic in this nation of those that are stricken with unbelief and they're spreading it like wildfire. They want everyone to believe that God's not real and that this Bible's not real and that you don't need a God. And most people are claiming atheism or agnosticism or some kind of silly philosophy where they deny the truth of scripture and and they think it's so much better. But yet look at the evidence, look at the way the world is headed and you tell me if that's better. You can answer it. Everywhere you turn, God is showing you his truth, but it takes faith. Because this is the way God has set up this world after the fall. He says, if you want to see me, you're going to have to believe in me. And when you believe in me, I will reveal myself to you. But the sin of unbelief says, I don't have to believe in you. You've given me no reason to believe in you. You need to reveal yourself to me. And if you don't, then you don't exist. 
because I don't see you. Well, you don't see the wind, but you see its effects. You don't see gravity, but you see its effects. You don't see God, but you see living without him and the effects all around you. You see the effects of living with him. You see the blessing of his name. You see his nation, Israel, that has been gathered from the four corners of the earth to fulfill prophecy. And every single thing that God's word has promised about Israel is taking place and will take place. It's there. It's there. You go, okay, pastor, but, 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 but. But how, how harmful is really unbelief? Unbelief is, is everything. Belief is everything. Without faith, it is impossible to have a relationship with God. The Bible says without faith, you cannot know God. Without faith, you cannot please God. Without faith, you will not have a relationship with God. How serious is this? Listen to me, church. I'm going to speak from my heart here for a second. This is so serious because I truly believe that many, many so-called Christians are going to hell because of unbelief. Unbelief is a serious thing. Think about it with me for a second. What would your life look like if you truly believed? You say, Pastor, but... Why do you have so many problems? Maybe the reason I have so many problems because when I look at Scripture and I look in the light of, of, of God's Word, I see that I cannot lie to myself. I cannot lie to myself because that's unbelief or wrong belief. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? No, listen, when you really believe, if you really believe that there is a, an exquisite, Exquisite, magnificent, perfect, transcendent being that abides in an unapproachable light. And he is the reason for our existence. If you believe in that, how would that impact our lives? Would we say the things we say? Would we do the things we do? Would we invest in the things we invest in? Would we spend time with the things we spend time in? What what, what would that do? And so to me, every day, I just keep asking like, God, Lord, Lord, show me my sin of unbelief because I don't want to, I don't want to encounter you with unbelief. I want to believe fully that you exist and that you are my savior, and that you are the king of glory. And this world is constantly, constantly bombarding me with unbelief, but I don't have room in my heart for what this world has to say. It has to be you. It has to be you. And before you say amen, I want you to think deep. When you believe in Christ, would it change your relationship? Because people say, I believe in Christ, but they're not married to the person they're living with i believe in christ but 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 on some weird rationale i'm okay with abortion and homosexuality and all these how could you believe what the bible says and just make stuff up on your own oh yeah but those are those are no 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 that's the moral law I'm not talking about the ceremonial law. I'm not talking about the sacrificial system. I'm talking about just a pure moral law that still abides today in our hearts. 
You go, oh man, pastor, that's not the way you grow a church, talking about that stuff. But don't you just get tired of that? And just want to speak truth and say, man, if we believe this, then it should move us to share our faith. If we truly believe this, you go, why, why is this so important to you? Because the book of Hebrews, I mean, the book of Hebrews is, is a soul wrecker. It will wreck you. It will wreck you. If you're living with unbelief. And if you live with belief, it makes you look deep inside to make sure your belief is true. Because this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, so many times we live in a world full of lies, and these lies, they permeate us too. And we start lying to ourselves. And I, maybe I've always been this way since I was a kid. I, one of the greatest things I tell my children is don't ever lie to yourself. Because when you lie to yourself, you begin to, to, um, break that continuity between you and who you really are. You start to believe you're somebody different and you need to be totally integrated to respond to an awesome, wonderful, magnificent God. God. And what I'm seeing in the church today, not just this church, this church is is pretty remarkable. But maybe it's because we keep pushing and keep saying, no, we're not just going to say what's easy. And we're not just going to claim some prayer. And we're not just going to go through the motions. No, we're really going to try to wrestle with real truth and be true to ourselves and dig deep and say, is there some things that we need to get right that don't line up with what we say we believe? Because what we say needs to be how we live. And how we live needs to line up with what we say. And what we say and what we live needs to line up with this word with this word because at the end of the day this isn't a game this is life and death read with me in the book of hebrews read with me god's word take care brothers lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living god and we have these weird debates about once saved, always saved, or can you lose your salvation? All I know is God's word says believe. And when you believe, it changes your life. Changes your life. And he who endures to the end shall be saved. Well, if they didn't endure, then they weren't saved. No, 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 no. They lost their side. How about I just read the scripture and we just really, really, really just say, Lord, whatever it takes, I don't want to be an unbeliever. I don't want to be an unbeliever. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. In chapter six, he goes on to say, if you if you." understand the gospel message but you casually treat the blood of Christ like nothing you have no other sacrifice how can you be made holy how can you be saved now I'm telling you the book of Hebrews is a serious book Read it. 
there no longer remains a sacrifice for what? If you have no sacrifice for sin, your life should be filled with dread in this moment. Watch. In chapter 6, it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Some of you are going, you, you just brought me here to wreck my faith? No. No. I brought you here to help you understand that anyone can say any old thing. But are your words matching up with your life? Because your words might be one of, I believe, I believe, I believe. But if your life isn't, then this is the sin of unbelief. I'm going to read it in its entirety. Then I'm going to bring you the hope that God's word talks about. But first, our churches have to stop playing loose and fancy free with holiness. Watch. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. You say, okay, pastor, the key is not to sin deliberately. No, 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 no. All sin is deliberate sin. (laughs) Think about it. All sin is deliberate to some degree. This is the key. Go back to chapter three. And this is why I hammered this so hard today. Because in chapter three, you hear what it really is. 18 and 19. And to whom did God or he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. Okay. So we're talking about disobedience. We're talking about willful sin. No, no, no. We're talking about something even greater than that. Read the last verse. So we see that they were unable to enter because of un... Okay, watch this. Chapter 3 of John, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he what? Do you realize in that same conversation, in that same context, in that same place where Jesus is talking about salvation, he talks about what happened in the desert because this is talking about the unbelievers of Moses' time. They didn't enter the promised land. I believe this is exactly what he's saying to Christians. You're not going to enter the promised land, which is heaven, if you don't truly believe. That means you've got to put your trust in Christ. And not just say it, but you've got to live it. Every day say, you know what? I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. This isn't about losing your salvation. This is about really being saved. Really being saved. And really being saved means, Lord, I'm not just looking for fire insurance. I believe that you are the son of God. And if you are the son of God, then you're going to come into me. And I, I will release what my will to you. I give my will to you. Watch what he says. Stay with me. Are you, you got two more minutes? Do you have two more minutes so you can walk out of here with the hope? 
This is what he says. He says, as the children of Israel had the snakes coming out and it was, they were biting them. What are the snakes? They represent death. What have we been talking about? The sin of unbelief leads to death, leads to real death. And so those snakes were coming out. They were freaking out. They were freaking out. They didn't know what to do. They were dropping dead. They were dropping dead, dropping dead. What did God ask Moses to do? He said, go take a staff, a pole, put a bronze snake on it. Come put it in the middle of the camp. And every time they get stung, they got to what? They got to look at that. What does that represent? Well, we know it represents Jesus because Jesus said he was he told Nicodemus, he said, just like in the times of Moses, I have to be what? Raised up on a pole. And the one that was without sin will carry your sin. And he will give his life. And when you look towards the cross, when you look towards Jesus, when you put your belief in Jesus and not yourself. See, this is about salvation at the end of the day. This is about salvation. You want to know you're really saved? Then put your trust in Jesus. Not just someday, but every day. Every day. Because the snakes are going to come. And sin is going to come. And challenges are going to come. And that sin wants to bite you and wreck your confidence and drag you to death. But Christ is bigger than that. Christ will set you free. Christ is the answer. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I'm not here to tell you. I'm not here to tell you what the world's here to tell you. Oh, just redefine morality. Let's just redefine it. No. You're lying to yourself. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Put your faith in Christ. The way he says it. Amen. Lord, we partake. I don't believe declaring that you are good. Save us, Lord. By your grace, as we put our faith in you. I guess I pray this way, Lord, because I'm just as grateful today as I was yesterday for what you've done and continue to do in my life. We pray this together as a family in Jesus' name. Amen. By his blood, we were washed white as snow. I love you, church. Have a great, great week. I'm trusting your promise.